Welcome to Centerpoint Church, where we're all about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. We're so excited that you decided to join us today, and we believe that no matter where you're listening from, this message will enhance your connection with Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Good to see you uh, today. I'm glad you're here. If you're new at Centerpoint, hey, we can celebrate. God is good. If you're new here, my name is John, I'm lead pastor, and I want to uh, encourage brothers, it's uh, time for men's retreat. Just in a few weeks, we're having our men's retreat, October 28th to the 30th, so this is the time to register. And maybe if you haven't been, uh, you haven't been paying attention, you're like, wait, it's, it's two weeks away. Yes, it's two weeks away. And so the best thing you could do is probably grab another brother, a friend of yours, and say, hey, let's do this together. And uh, we'll, we'll have a... I'm praying for God to to increase the sense of revival among the men in our church. And I said, increase. I thought maybe somebody might say amen. Like, does anybody care that God's doing something good among the men in our church? Yeah, so uh, register for that now. All right, I'm going to jump into the fourth message in this relationship series. We've, uh, we, we've been taking God's wisdom to heart for our lives and our relationships about friendship and then uh, about communication and then about forgiveness. And then today, I'm talking about marriage. But uh, before I jump into the message, there was something in the news a few weeks ago caught my eye. And it was, um, it was this ship. It was a big ship called the Felicity Ace. And uh, a nice big uh, cargo ship. And it was loaded up over in Europe with a whole bunch of vehicles, like $400 million worth of Lamborghinis and Ferraris and Porsches, all in one ship. And this, uh, this cargo vessel headed out into the Atlantic Ocean. It was smooth sailing until all of a sudden, boom, this happens. A fire goes off in, in the cargo hold of the ship. And, uh, and then uh, the fire kept burning. They couldn't figure out how to get it out because of all the EV batteries that were in the cars that were catching fire now. And then uh, after a, a matter of time, the Felicity a- Ace with $400 million worth of luxury cars sunk in the Atlantic Ocean, just flat out sunk. I can't believe it. You remember all those gorgeous cars, all of the Lambos and Porsches, right? Gone. They're gone forever and uh, happy diving for somebody. But they're gone. And yeah, listen, I guess my message I wanted to say today is don't let that happen to your marriage. (laughs) Really. And your marriage is kind of like that vessel. It's filled with treasure and something good and valuable. And uh, there, there are ways that we can uh, make choices in our life to make sure that that, that doesn't happen to the degree it's up, up to us. And so I want to talk today about maximizing your marriage. And, and so we're going to spend a little bit of time in uh, Matthew chapter 19. But as we're turning to Matthew 19, and I want you to open up there now, I want to just mention a few things. First of all, God's word says in Hebrews 13, 4, that all of us should honor marriage. And, and so that's where we're going to begin. Hebrews 13, 4, just a, a simple expression that marriage is to be honored by all. That includes everybody, whether we're single or divorced or engaged right now or two decades in, whatever the case might be. Marriage is to be honored by all. So that's what we get to do today. And I, I want to mention this too. You, you may be today uh, in, in a moment where uh, you're single and you're wondering how in the world does this apply to me? Well, maybe it's for future reference. Maybe it's 
uh, for something that's going to happen down the road in your life. And you can take some notes today, and it might give you an imprint for days to come. And for others of us, maybe we feel like, no, I don't think I'm ever getting married. Well, then maybe what you can do today is you can take some notes because you're going to end up needing to help that, that friend of yours who's you know, going through it in their marriage. And you got some godly wisdom coming your way today from God's word that I believe will, will help you. But uh, for each one of us, uh, I want us to recognize that we're going to learn from Jesus. And, and I want you to just think about Jesus for a moment. Like, just use your imagination. Picture Jesus, whatever comes to your mind. Whatever else comes to your mind, whether you envision Jesus wearing some sort of a Middle Eastern robe or maybe he popped into your mind wearing jeans and boots, I don't care. But what I want you to know is this. Jesus was single. So you're turning to Matthew 19 right now because we're going to take to heart the words of Jesus. But I want you to know this. Jesus was single, lived and died at age 33 as a single man. And I mention this because I want any single person to know this, that it is quite possible as modeled by our Savior Jesus to live a massively impactful and significant life even without being married. And so I just want you to hear that loud and clear that the goal is not marriage. The goal is to follow Jesus. And the goal is to follow Jesus in discovering the power and love of God. And the goal is to live in this world demonstrating and living out the kingdom of God and experiencing the power of God flowing through you. The goal in this life is to experience God's love and mercy every single day and to experience being made new by him every day. The goal is to live with the kingdom of God in your view and making a difference in this world in God's power. That's the goal. Somebody say amen. That's the goal. The goal isn't marriage. But we are going to honor marriage, and we're going to honor marriage with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. So uh, here, here's, uh, here's what happens in Matthew chapter 19. There's a group of people that have a bunch of questions about marriage and divorce and that kind of thing, and in a very public setting, uh, some of them had some intentions that weren't all that good, kind of wanted to see if they could maybe get Jesus in trouble, get him to say something wrong. He was a rabbi, and everybody was judging every word that came out of his mouth, but they, they brought up the subject of marriage, and this is the way that went down. Matthew 19, verses 1 and following. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with questions. Should a man leave uh, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And then... Why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, that whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said to him, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. Yeah, not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those whom God helps. Only those whom God helps. 
Say that phrase, only those whom God helps. Only those whom God helps. So Jesus is talking about marriage and divorce and the upshot sort of towards the end of this conversation from Jesus regarding marriage and how you're going to make it is it's only those whom God helps. Anybody needs some help from God? I believe that it's important for us to start with those words in mind, the help from God that's available. And I wanted to say to somebody today, you need to realize this, that God Almighty is the source of stability and strength and power for living in victory. That God is your heavenly Father who has an availability of his own goodness and mercy ready to flow into your life in whatever category, including your marriage. That through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, you can experience something of his peace and goodness flowing into the relationships that matter most to you, including your marriage. That Holy Spirit is actually the master counselor. And when you're wondering, what do we do? How are we going to make this thing work? It is from the Holy Spirit coming in and knitting back together the hearts that have been broken. That's how you're going to make it. Somebody say amen. That this, this is what Jesus is describing when he says, only to those to whom it's been given, or in this translation, only those whom God helps. And you know who God helps? God helps anybody who comes to him with a humble heart to say, I need you, God. God has a willingness to help any one of us who would be willing to admit, I can't do this on my own. I'm not quite sure what to do. I don't know if we're too far gone. God, this thing's pretty broken, help. He's willing to help. And so I want you to know there's hope for every single one of us today. And we need God's help. If we have a decent marriage, but we want to maximize that marriage. We need God's help. If we have a stale marriage, it's been a a decade or so, and it's just feeling kind of stale, but we want it to be rejuvenated and fresh again, we need God's help. If we have a marriage that's on the rocks because of some dumb stuff that's gone down, we need God's help. If, if we're newlyweds and we're just starting out and we hope that this life together would be good, we need what? We need God's help. All of us do. We need God's help. And so what we want to ask God to help us to do is to learn how to maximize our marriage. And and again, if you're single today, we're following Jesus. And even though Jesus was single, he spoke life about marriage. And I want us to take to heart what he said. So back into the words of Jesus just for a moment in Matthew 19. But this time I want to to, uh, read this from uh, the NIV from my notes. And, And it says this. Jesus speaks and says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, say the last phrase with me. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Okay, so, so Jesus is describing this oneness, this oneness that is really at the heart of a great marriage. And even though he's not married, he's affirming that oneness and saying, this is the treasure within. This is really what it's about, that oneness. And so the main idea of my message today, taking to heart the instruction of Jesus, my Savior, is just simply this. To maximize the marriage, we are are going to pursue the oneness that makes it worth it. I want you to just say that phrase with me. It's the main idea of this message. Just say it, ready, go. To maximize marriage, we pursue the oneness that makes it worth it. We're pursuing not just staying married, 
pursuing the oneness that makes it worth it. Uh, those words of Jesus, one more time, he, he's affirming the Torah, the Old Testament vision, the words inspired by his own heart in Genesis 2.24. But one more time, in, in Matthew 19, 4 and 5, Jesus said, haven't you read? He replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, I, I, I want to focus on those words, be united, but let me just zoom out and big picture recognize something, that I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm not trying to do whatever else the world is trying to do out here or over there. I'm trying to follow Jesus. And what Jesus does in this moment is Jesus looks at, at this idea of marriage, and he draws from the words of the Torah the beginning of the Bible, and says, we're going to talk about marriage, and it's that. And he takes those words from Genesis 2 that describe a man and a woman coming together and being united as one. And that's what Jesus affirms. And as I follow Jesus, I want to affirm what Jesus affirms and say, yes, God, to that oneness that you gave this beautiful picture of. Somebody say amen. It's, it's something beautiful that Jesus desires. And that oneness becomes a source of life and strength to the two people that are continually pursuing it and living in the experience of it. And it becomes a source of goodness and strength to family that grows up within it. And it becomes a source of goodness and strength into a whole town and a, and a community and even a country. When we decide, hey, th th there's something about this, this knitting together. And let me tell you something. There's nobody in this room that has a perfect marriage. And some of us have a marriage that's mixed, and, and a lot of us have a marriage that's mixed up, but we're going to learn today how to maximize the marriage, and we're going to maximize it by pursuing the oneness that makes it worth it. So one more time, Matthew 19, 4 and 5, I, I know I'm drilling down on it a lot, but I hope you just get it in your heart today. Matthew 19, 4 and 5, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made the male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and say the rest out loud with me be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They'll be united. So in the NIV, it says they'll be, they'll be united. In the NLT, it says they'll be joined together. In the King James, it says they will, he will cleave to. It, it's, it's this word that's translated in a variety of ways, trying to communicate something that's happening when, when a marriage is being formed. And it's a word that, that really matters because it sets the tone for what makes a marriage become great. And so I want to break into this word just a little. Again, Jesus is quoting from Genesis 2, 24 and 25 in the second chapter of the Bible. And he's saying, look, let's talk about marriage this way. Let's go right back to the beginning and understand what God did. And the word in the Hebrew text that's translated here uh, to be joined together or to become united or to cleave, it's this word in Hebrew, dabak. Everybody get your Hebrew on and say dabak, dabak. And this word is at the heart of what makes a marriage great, dabak. And it literally means this. I'll just share the meaning of this word dabak, Hebrew word. It's this uh, to catch by pursuit, to follow closely, to overtake to pursue hard. And that is one of the key factors that makes a marriage great, doing that. Not just at the very beginning, 
but throughout the course of the marriage. So it's about pursuit. Everyone say pursuit. Pursuit. That's at the heart of, of this two becoming one flesh. Pursuit. I'll talk about pursuit this way. Uh, about 23 and a half years ago or so, I met this cute young woman named Anne, Anne Lee. And I just thought she was awesome, and I had uh, sort of some interest in her. And, and then we got into a, a Bible study, and I found out she was dating a med school student. Ah, <laughs> oh, whatever. whatever. Okay, so you go ahead and have your perfect life at the doctor one day. But anyway, after a year and a half, they broke up. I found my opportunity, and Anne and I went on a missions trip together. Long story short, during that missions trip, I saw the way that she was serving God and the way she was worshiping and loving the Lord and the way she was encouraging other people and praying for other people. And when I saw that, something inside of me went, that's my wife, you know? And then I told her that, and it got really awkward for a little bit. (laughs) I was that guy that... God told me you're going to be my wife. <laughs> but then the pursuit began. And the pursuit looked like, uh, you know, sometimes uh, I would scale the fence outside of her apartment complex where we lived in L.A. to, to bring her her favorite macaroni and cheese from Kokoro's, right? And, and sometimes the pursuit looked like uh, writing her poems and putting them in a, in a card to her. Sometimes the pursuit looked like uh, getting her roommates to place flowers in a vase on the table with a note from me when, when they, she wasn't even home, so she came home to the flowers. Sometimes the pursuit looked like going when she worked the night shift as a nurse at St. Joe's in Burbank and bringing her uh, food and drink in the middle of that night shift at one in the morning to let her know that I, I was thinking about her. Sometimes that pursuit, oh, one time, one time the pursuit was, I, I found a leaf, like a, a, a fall leaf, and I took a, a metallic ink pen and I wrote a little poem on that little leaf and I hid it in this little garden and then I had her and I take a romantic walk in the garden and I kind of kicked up the leaves until I made sure that she found that one and she picked it up in the moon and read the metallic ink poem from Woo. Man, the pursuit was on. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> that was a good one. The pursuit. And then we got married. And, and I probably made the classic mistake that happens to a, a lot of us is that, okay, well, that's now that, now that I've got her, I can sort of lay off on all of the... But what we've discovered is that the pursuit must continue. It really, it must, must continue. Because the pursuit communicates, you are valuable to me. You are a treasure worth going after. And you are the prize that that I'm chasing, (laughs) still. And and then here's the thing about marriage. marriage has various stages. And uh, you know, there, there are lots of different ways to describe the stages of marriage. I started looking at different books on marriage. And, and, and as many books as you can find will describe as many different stages of marriage. One book says you got three stages of marriage. Another book says you got seven stages of marriage. Another book says you got 10. I mean, however many stages you want to say there are, I think at the core, all of us can realize that it, marriage does have an ebb and flow to it. The relationship of marriage, there's an ebb and a flow to uh, the feelings and the sense of connection. And we all would maybe agree together that, that the honeymoon stage doesn't probably last forever. And that through the stages, 
of our marriage. Gosh, I mean, one book uh, described the marriage as having 10 stages, and stage three was disillusionment, and stage four was misery. Can you believe that? I think that person was sitting down and writing that book while they were watching Married with Children, and uh, Al Bundy and Peggy, whatever their name was. And, uh, but, but the pursuit must continue through all the stages. And the pursuit changes. The form of the pursuit changes. I mean, uh, back in the day, the pursuit uh, from me uh, looked like, you know, writing the poem in silver metallic ink on a leaf for the you know, garden walk. But, and now the pursuit looks like doing both baskets of laundry and folding the clothes, too. Mm. <laughs> Can you feel the romance? <laughs> the, the pursuit changes. That what's happening in our lives changes, and there does need to be some room for the, the pursuit and the factors of that pursuit changing, but the pursuit must continue. And the question you need to be asking is, is she worth it? Yes. Is he worth it? Yes. And here's what I know. I know that, that she has desires for the way that she would love to be pursued that you don't even know about because you haven't been paying attention. He has something within him that would, would love to be pursued in a certain kind of a way, but you haven't ever even asked him, and so you're unaware. And, and inside of a, a husband and a wife, there can be this wish, this longing, this desire that just goes unmet because we just start doing the opposite of pursuit. You know what the opposite of pursuit is? Neglect. Taking them for granted, just figuring, ah, we said our I do's back at the altar, isn't that good enough? You know, the opposite of the pursuit is the neglect, the taking for granted that leads to a sense of familiarity. And you've all heard the phrase, familiarity breeds what? Contempt. And that is disastrous in a marriage. And so the lesson right now is for somebody, it's time to come back to the pursuit. And again, the question is, is she worth it? Is he worth it? And I'll tell you what, I know somebody who believes that she's completely worth it. Her heavenly father is looking. He knows how worth it she still is. His heavenly father is looking at him with a fatherly pride and and that son, and even though the missteps have been made, he's still going, yeah, but he's still a, a, val a valiant warrior, a son of mine who's worthy. And, and I think we need to get our hearts lined up with the heart of God for the one who is our spouse and decide we are going to do it. We're going to maximize the marriage by pursuing the oneness that makes it worth it. Pursue the oneness that makes it worth it. I want you to just say that with me. We pursue the oneness that makes it worth it. Grab her hand, his hand, and say it with me. We pursue the oneness that makes it worth it. This is what we're going to do. We're going to try to do. We're going to be intentional about and see what God might do in our marriage as we do it. What got you there is what'll keep you there. And I hope you'll take that to heart. Matthew 19, five, one more time. Jesus said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two, say it, will become one flesh. Will become, will become one flesh. They'll become, it will become, it's in the future tense. It's not in the perfect tense, it's in the future tense, meaning, it's always going to be something out there that we keep moving towards. It's not something that we, that we stop on. We, we keep on, and we will become something. And I want you to just have this in mind. 
If it says they will become one flesh, that's going to require a process that will call for your engagement and your attention so that that process can actually take place, so that something can become that wasn't before. So that's kind of like this. If I had a a tub full of acrylic paints and brushes and then a pile of canvases and an easel, that stuff could become beautiful artwork or at least passable impressionist artwork (laughs) if there's a process that has some intentionality, some creativity, some effort, some design thinking, some attention. These musical instruments, we have keyboards and guitars and drums, they can become a a beautiful expression of music. It's going to require a process, and that process is going to require some uh, some people to show up here on a Thursday afternoon and stay late into Thursday evening learning uh, melodies and learning the chords and making sure the rhythm is right. And and then that, that instrumentation can become something beautiful. The same is true in your marriage. There is a possibility for you and she and you and he to become one. Deeply one, but it calls for your engagement. It calls for your new attention, even 10 years in, even, uh, even two decades in. Ann and I just celebrated 21 years together, and the pursuit continues, and it must. We pursue the oneness that makes it worth it. What I want to share right now is three ways uh, that you can pursue that oneness, three factors of the oneness, and I'll go through these sort of quickly. The first one is, is inc- incredibly important, and it's just this. We pursue becoming better friends. Say it with me. We pursue becoming better friends. Keep it up on the screen for a minute. If you're here with your spouse, look at him for a second. Nudge him a little bit. Your friendship with each other matters, and say it again. We pursue becoming better friends. It's wonderful that at the very beginning, there was a spark of erotic nature when you first met each other, and that uh, we might clean up that language a little and say there was chemistry, (laughs) and you better believe there was, and that's great. It has its place, but that's not what's going to carry you. It is that sense of, of real and committed friendship with one another that will carry you through the decades, but that friendship requires you to continue to show up. Think about some people in your life that, ah, they used to be friends. I wonder what happened. Probably what happened is you stopped showing up for each other. You stopped caring. You stopped giving some attention. You stopped checking in. You stopped crafting moments where we could be together and do something special. That's what makes the friendship inside of a marriage really work is when you choose the intentionality to give your attention and to create moments that are positive and to establish the rhythm of consistency of showing up for one another that builds the threads of connectedness at the deep soul level and extending the forgiveness when somebody failed and continuing to come back again with honor and deference and cherishing, that friendship is at the core. And so some of us, the best thing we could do, we want to we pursue the oneness that makes it worth it, is, is this one. We need to come back to the place where we decide, she's my best friend, he's my best friend, I'm going I'm to make space for that reality to grow. Let me ask you something. If you were to evaluate the friendship factor inside of your marriage, how would you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10? 
But maybe you need to think about it like this. How would she rate it on a scale of one to 10? How would he rate it on a scale of one to 10? And do you even know what the factors are that would bump it up a few notches? Like maybe you could ask yourself, when's the last time I went on his turf with him, even though, I, whatever, I don't like golf, I don't like fishing, I don't like hiking, I don't like hunting, or I don't like whatever, football games, whatever, but you just decided, yeah, but because of my friendship with him, I'm going, I'm sitting right there, I'm going to be a part of it. When's the last time? Because that is a friendship building factor. When's the last time you went with her on her turf? Where she enjoys it. When's the last time you sat down and got yourself a, a mani-pedi with your wife? <laughs> or went shopping for purses? Come on, somebody. Like, when's the last time you did it? Like, those things that, that generate that sense of, ah, oh, we really are connected, heart to heart, soul to soul. Those things have to be chosen. They don't come about by autopilot. And maybe it's time to sit down together and say, hey, let's choose some times. Let's put our calendars out in front of each other and find some times where we're going to do what we heard about on Sunday. Like, we're going to figure out, what, what, when's the last time you did that together and intentionally planned how we're going to connect as friends? Let's do it. We pursue becoming better friends. Number two, we pursue becoming better lovers. That's number two. You can put that on the screen. I'm skipping the verse because we're running out of time. We pursue becoming better lovers. Everybody say it with me. Say it. We pursue becoming better lovers. You did not have any enthusiasm in that. <laughs> Come on. Let's try that again. Say it. We pursue becoming better lovers. Come on. Back to that, that chemistry we were talking about before. We can't ignore that. And it's good that it fired off automatically at the very beginning but then we find as the ebb and flow happens in the relationship that, that that component actually requires a bit more of our intentionality too, to become better lovers. I mean, the uh, alternative is to decide, nah, I like it stale and boring. <laughs> That's not going to actually help you maximize your marriage, believe it or not. But if you could decide, you know what, this is worth it too. We're going to pursue becoming better lovers. What does that look like? Probably looks like having some communication, awkward maybe, maybe even a little painful because there's been some, some disappointments or letdowns or, or hurts along the way that you're going to need to work through and forgive, yes, but, but you don't back away from this because of those things. In fact, you lean in all the more and decide, this matters. What does it take? What would it look like for me to be a better lover for you? You ask that question. You give the space for the answer. Without being defensive and just kind of go, okay, all right. I'll share an illustration. I, of all places, Nat Geo served me up an illustration. National Geographic, I, I saw this and I thought, ah, put that in my note file for the next time I preach about marriage. It said this, there's a, 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 a research scientist, a biologist named Emilio Mori, and she wrote, um, it said, courtship among crested porcupines can be, well, prickly. But once the pair has connected, they form an affectionate, lifelong partnership that's rare in the animal kingdom. An evolutionary biologist named uh, Emiliano Mori said, the pair bond is kept throughout their lives by copulation events throughout the year, even without penetration and without procreative aims, says the biologist. Do you, do you need me to read that again? I need to read that one. <laughs> the pair bond is kept throughout their lives by copulation events throughout the year, 
even without penetration, without procreative aims, copulation events. Basically, the biologist is saying, look, the porcupines have this long, lifelong uh, connection with each other because, because they'd be connecting with each other. That's what, the, that's what the biologist is saying. And I just wanted to tell somebody today, embrace the way of the porcupine. <laughs> but maybe you step it up a little bit. It, I, I read something in there about throughout the year. I think maybe you change that up for like throughout the week, and then would be, it would be good. It would be good. I did not hear a single amen on that. Are you kidding me right now? Come on. Come on. I know that just got a little awkward, but it's too important. You know what? We, we, we do tend to ignore this. And then, you know who talks about sex? The entire world fills our brains with images and ideas about sex. And then we go, oh, no, not in church. I can't talk about that. It's just nervous. It's awkward. Come on. Come on. It matters too much. And I'll just cut right to the chase. First Corinthians 7, 3 says, okay, let's talk about marriage and, and becoming better lovers. And it says in 1 Corinthians 7, 3, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. You can't get any more direct than that. Why don't you get even more awkward by reading this verse of scripture out loud with me? <laughs> Ready? Let's go. Say it. Go. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. And God's word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says needs. And on one hand, we could say, well, I'm uncomfortable with it, and you know, it's not something I have much interest in, and therefore, I'm just going to not do what God's word says. I'm going to just, I'm going to just deprive my spouse. She, she's, she's, yeah, she's, I'm just, she doesn't have my, my attention that much anymore, so I just won't step in in that way or whatever. I think if we do that, we do it to our, our own peril. And in fact, when Jesus said those words, what God has joined together, let no person separate. Sometimes we think about what's going to separate a husband and a wife, and we think it, about it as, as it's some intruder from the outside that's going to come in and kind of mess it up. Sometimes that can happen, but every, every bit as much, it can happen that somebody inside of the marriage is making choices that are leading to a separation. And for sure, withholding the fulfillment of a need as core as the sexual one would definitely lead to a separation, at least in, in the physical sense but much more in the emotional sense. So uh, number three, we pursue becoming stronger supporters. We pursue becoming stronger supporters. I know that was a very quick transition, but we pursue becoming stronger supporters. Why don't you say this one with me? Say it. We pursue becoming stronger supporters. So we're, we're pursuing the oneness that makes it worth it. And we started off by saying we're going to pursue better friendship. And then we said we're going to pursue be, being better lovers. And here we're going to pursue being stronger supporters. If you're married, that person that you're married to, you are meant to be their number one pillar of support in this world. It's you. You're the one who's meant to be the, the rock that they can lean against and the, and the pole they can grab hold on to in the middle of a storm. You. you. You're the number one supporter. And I think maybe for some of us, it's time to step up our support. I think about, for example, man, when, when I was growing up, my dad, uh, he's passed away more than a decade ago. But when I was growing up, I remember a time, the details my mom can correct me on after this service. But um, 
basically, my mom wanted to be able to do a master's degree, and things weren't great in our family at that time, money-wise and, and whatnot. But nevertheless, my dad found a way to say, if that's your dream, I'm going to support you to do it. <laughs> We're going to start a side business, use up the savings, take out a, a second mortgage on the house, whatever it might be. Let's do that. If that's your dream, I'm supporting it. And I have that as an imprint in my mind of what it can look like when one spouse says, I'm supporting you. You want to go after something? I'm with you 100%, and I'll be a part of helping to make it happen. And I want to encourage somebody today. You need to step up your, wow, your support for that spouse of yours. And I want to share with you a list of 25 ways that you can step up your support. Uh, yes, 25. I'm going to go through them quickly. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. Don't you believe in eating lunch? <laughs> 25 ways you can support your spouse. Number one, give warm hellos and goodbyes. Number two, respect their point of view. Number three, be empathetic when they are stressed. Number four, give more eye contact. Number five, offer your help without them even asking for it in things like laundry and cooking and chores. Number six, encourage them in their dreams and hopes. Number seven, check in regularly. Number eight, Give physical affection. Number nine, do some of their things for them. Number 10, protect them from getting overloaded. Number 11, take the initiative to organize things like family pictures or family vacation plans. Number 12, listen to them. Number 13, help them buy that thing that they're really hoping for. Number 14, pray together with them for them. Number 15, respect their personal decisions. Number 16, think of their needs first. Number 17, remind them that you're in their corner. Number 18, go big on gratitude to them. Number uh, next one, give them space and money for some hobbies. Uh, apologize. Promote their work. Publicly praise them. Spoil them sometimes. Give them your undivided attention. No, really, turn the TV off, the phone away, and look at them. 25, speak validation and affirmation of them more often. Those are some of the ways that you could step up your support for your spouse. Maybe out of all those 25, maybe one of them pops up in your memory, and you go, thank you, Lord, I'm going to do that. But these these are the things that we, we need to do in our married lives with one another. It, it is to pursue the oneness that makes it worth it. Anne and I are in a very unique phase, it, 21 years into our married lives together, and one son off in, in, in college and another son about to ship out to the Navy, and all of a sudden, the household is beginning to change, and we're down to one. <laughs> And it begins to put the spotlight on what is the quality of our connection with each other. And I'm grateful that we've found ways over the years to continue to choose each other and to do the things that I'm talking about today. So that even though the dynamic in the household is changing, there's also a sense of excitement about what this means in terms of our ability to continue to connect. Don't ever take it for granted. Don't ever take it for granted. I met recently with a guy my age who said, I have to tell you something. His, his wife had re recently passed away. And he said, you need to go home today. And he said with tears in his eyes, you need to go home today and put your arms around your wife and tell her how much you love her and cherish 
cherish her. I don't get to do that anymore. And I wish I would have more. That made an impression. And, and, and it spoke to me of the, the simple truth that the marriage that we've entered into is meant to be a gift from God. If we can have lenses again to see that one as the treasure from God they really are, it will be for us again the gift that he intends it to be. So I want to thank you if you are single for sitting with me in this message. And I hope it's uh, helpful for future reference. Those of us who are married, I want to pray together right now that God would do a healing work in uh, our marriages to the degree that we need that. And for some of us, maybe it's not so much a healing, it's an improving. And, and in either which way, uh, let's take some time to just simply pray together and seek the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and the clarity of it. I thank you, God, that what we read reveals your heart. That for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Lord, I pray for every married couple that's listening to this message right now. Whether, whether we're listening right now in this room or we're listening two weeks or even two years later, I pray right now in this moment, transcending time and space, that your touch would come. And where there's a marriage where it's in trouble, God, that you would do a healing work supernaturally. Because it, it, only those whom God helps. That's where we began this talk about marriage. And that's where we're going to end it. Too. Only those whom God helps. And so there's a bunch of us going, God, would you help? So while we're praying together, if you are married and things are okay, but you just simply want them to be better in your marriage, it's not a train wreck right now, but you know, I, I want it to be better. I don't want it to just stay the same. I want it to get better and better over the next few decades. If that's true of you and you want God's help, would you just raise your hand? You're married and your marriage is okay, but you want it to be better. Keep your hand up for a moment. If you're married, and the truth is, man, it's, it's, a, it's a struggle right now. Things are kind of difficult. And you're willing to say, but God, I believe that if you'll help me, we're going to make it. Would you raise your hand, too? I need, help, I need help in this thing. Keep your hand up for a moment. Father, I pray that you would create a downpour from heaven for every one of us who is wanting this relationship that you've given us to really be more than it is. God, I pray your healing would come. For everybody, every one of us who has our hope in you, Lord, I pray for your touch. We just pour it out from heaven. And while I'm praying for you, I want to share this uh, prophetic word with you. I woke up in the middle of the night, I had had a dream, and I won't share all the details, but it was a man and a woman, and they finally looked at each other and said, we are not heading in the right direction. And it was an important, I woke up in the middle of the night realizing that was an important dream. God, what is it for? And I felt like I needed to share it in this service. And for somebody, the dream I had, it reflects something that's going on with you. And to maybe acknowledge we're not heading in the right direction, but you can change the direction. And by God's power and help, the direction can shift and the relationship can shift. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us with, with the needs that we have in our marriage. You can put your hands down. Father, I pray that you would allow each one of us to, as married people, if we are married, to, to do the work of pursuing the oneness that makes it worth it. 
And if you're with your spouse, just put your arm around them a little bit and kind of squeeze them tight right now in this moment. And just say it together. We pursue the oneness that makes it worth it. Make it your declaration together. We pursue the oneness that makes it worth it. We're pursuing becoming closer friends. We're pursuing becoming better lovers. We're pursuing becoming stronger supporters. And if that's true for you, just say to each other, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray that uh, in this moment, any spiritual awakening you need to do, you do. Thank you, Lord, for one sister who shared a testimony this morning with me, that a prophetic word was given, a word of knowledge about a need that needed to be healed. And I said, well, how is it now? She said, it's fantastic. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord, for a simple reminder of what you do. And so while we're praying together, listen, I believe that God, even though we talked about marriage, that God wants to do some physical healing right now. I really do believe that. I believe that. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking for a word of knowledge about anything specific that needs to be healed in somebody's physical bodies today. And the first thing that came to my mind as soon as I was uttering those words just now, I pictured uh, like, a, like the, the skeleton section of, of a hand. And uh, that means that somebody's hand is getting healed right now. I don't know who or why, but if you came in today and your hand is, it's, you couldn't even grasp, you couldn't grip correctly, it's numb on you, it's painful, and you need that hand to do your work. I want, if you want God to touch you, you believe that he could heal you, and that, that is your condition, you came in with your hand not working like it's supposed to. If you know that that's true about you and you want God's touch, would you just raise your hand right now? If you believe, keep it up for a moment. Keep it up. There's like several of us here and here and here and here. Now keep those hands up for a moment. And here, it's a lot. Keep those hands up. Okay, so if you are a believer, you trust Jesus Christ to heal physical pain. I want you to come over towards these people right now, and you're going to place a hand on their shoulder. If you don't want anybody placing a hand on your shoulder, then you could put your hands down. But you keep your hand up. We're going to pray for healing right now. We're going to pray for healing. So those of you on our ministry team, those of you who believe God to be able to heal, just reach out a hand. Others of you, if you are too far from those people right now, you just take a deep breath and say, Jesus, would you do it? We're followers of Jesus, right? And Jesus, I mean, even in the scripture we read today in Matthew 19, we might have read past it real quick, but it said that Jesus went into that region and before talking about marriage, it said, and he healed their sicknesses and diseases. We read that. Matthew 19, one through four, it was right there. So Jesus, right now I'm praying for your healing to come. Throughout this room where we're touching people, laying hands on people, I believe Jesus for your power of healing to flow. And, and even where there isn't a hand, Jesus, I believe your hand is extending right now to each one of us, and that hands will be healed. There are many things that we needed your touch for, God, but for whatever reason, you've highlighted in this moment hands, and so I pray for healing of hands right now. So I want you, uh, as you've, you've asked God to touch your hands and heal you, I want you to right now make a fist and, and like kind of make your fist and kind of hit one fist into the other hand and see what happens. Just do that real quick. Just take your hand and make a fist and, and, and punch one hand into the other. Okay. Here, here's what I know. I know that, that for some of us, this was the moment of healing. You feel it. You could sense it. You couldn't do that before. You're doing that right now. And you're kind of blown away. You need to know God did it. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he's a good father and he heard your cry. 
and you came in this morning and this particular thing was mentioned because he's got your back. Did he heal you? Did he touch you? If he did, I want to know about it. I want you to uh, just lift both of your hands up. If you, if you know, where? Where? Here? Right here. Who else? Right here? Come on, come on. Right here and right here. Right here and right here. I want everybody to just say, thank you, Jesus. Say it. Thank you. Come on, everybody, say it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that you did heal when you walked into Galilee and before they asked you about marriage. But you're healing right now. And Jesus, I pray you'd continue healing. I pray you'd cast out our unbelief. Forgive us for being so high-minded that we don't even think that, we, that you could do the same things that you did when you were walking this planet. We reject that. We embrace you, Jesus, Lord of everything. You're Lord of everything. We sing it that you're reigning over sickness and disease, and so we're asking you to keep trampling yes. on it. We got some other diseases that we need you trampling on. My, I'm standing first in line for that. I won't even get into the details, but I'm telling you, there has to be a group of believers that would say, I will believe and heal my unbelief. Yes. God, I want your touch. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you stand up? If you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins and save your life, start right there today. Ask Jesus to forgive you and save you. If you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins and save your life and you want to ask Jesus to be your Lord, right now I want you to raise your hand with me. You're saying, I don't know about all this stuff, but I know I need to ask Jesus to forgive my sins and save my life. And keep your hand raised and pray with me, Jesus Christ, I give you my life. I believe you are the Son of God. You conquered sin on my behalf. Would you forgive my sin and save my life and be my Lord and reign over me and over everything about me? In Jesus' name I'm praying and declaring your reigning power. You reign, Jesus. You reign, Jesus. You reign, Jesus. Start singing that song. Over fear, over 